Welcome back to our series on Isaiah. I'm John Corollas, one of our associate pastors here at Shepherd, And we're spending time in this month of January to walk through one of God's most beautiful books in the Bible. And yet it's a book that contains some confusing language and, and negative imagery and judgmental uh, promises and threats, but also these glimpses of God's glory and grace. We see beautiful pictures of how he brings salvation to his people in a way that no one saw coming, the fulfillment of the Messiah's promise in Jesus Christ. Today we're spending time in our second of this four-part series talking about the disobedience of God's people that we see in the book of Isaiah. You see, God's people had turned their own way at that time in the world and the narrative of of the the connection God had with his people that we call the Old Testament. We find ourselves in this book of Isaiah, this prophet, one of the greatest prophets that revealed God's word to his people at the time. So they had turned their own way. They had wandered away from God's covenant and instructions for them. And they had found that the gods of the neighbors, uh, the neighboring nations around them to be, for whatever reason, tempting to follow. In fact, they would even manufacture their own gods, their own idols to bow down and worship and give credit for the things that they would eat or the weather they would experience or the circumstances they found themselves in. It doesn't take too much imagination on our part for us to realize that this is indeed a great transgression, a great break in the relationship that God's people had with them. Because he had called them out of slavery. He had provided for them a place to live. He was giving them the things that they even had asked for in establishing a a line of kings for them. He would protect them from invaders. And he would reveal his gracious mercy to them through the words of his prophets. And yet, because we are broken people, because we don't have the capability to maintain our relationship with God on our own, God's people at the time of Isaiah gave in to their own sinful desires. They followed the, the, the gods of other nations, gods that were carved out of stone or made of wood. And we see in Isaiah, there's descriptions of what this was like from God's perspective. You'll notice a little bit of a sarcastic or, 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 um, judgmental tone in these verses I'm about to read to you from Isaiah chapter 44, but it gives us an understanding of just how, how, how backwards it is that someone who has a relationship with the real God of the universe, the one who created all things, who revealed himself to them through mighty works and wise words, would turn and go some other direction. So as we hear these words, This is going to help us as we make our way through the book of Isaiah. And I hope that you're finding time to dig into this book on your own over these next weeks together. And you're going to find language that is similar to what we're about to hear. And don't be afraid or intimidated by that language, but instead understand that this is a message God is giving his people to call them back to him, to help them see the foolishness of their ways, the severity of their transgressions, but also the great comfort that exists in his interactions with them. Isaiah 44, 13 through 15 says, Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. 
you can almost hear the exasperation in these verses. And if you were to read what comes before and what comes after, you'd hear more of the same. God is almost dumbfounded by the fact that a person who is, who is growing these trees, cultivating them, and then using them for his own warmth and his own provision would then bow down and worship something that he has clearly had the power over in just the last few moments or hours in working with it. You see, God is hurt and offended by the very idea that someone would turn away from him who has provided all things, who has revealed himself to all people and worship something as simple as a tree that has just been cut down, something that has no more life in it, that half of it was used for a campfire and the other half would be bowed down to and worshiped. It's, it's mystifying, it's confusing. And maybe as we come across this narrative, we think, well, you know, people in ancient times, they were easily tempted into following, uh, you know, rituals and shrines and idols and things like that. But today we don't struggle with those same things. We'll have some sad news for you. We actually do struggle with those same things. You see, our idols may not be trees that we cut down and built a campfire with and then carved into an image. Maybe they are. But idols we construct in our own image exist in our world today, too. Maybe it's the idea that we can manifest for ourselves through our own mental energy and focus through our own willpower and create a, a life that we want. Maybe it's the trap we fall into believing that we can provide for all of our needs simply by our own hard work. You see, idols exist today just as much as they did in the time of Isaiah. It may look like a car you're obsessed with or a house you're prouder of than anything else in your life. Or it may be a dream career or a dream experience that you have and you are chasing. And in that very thing, this house or car or career or experience, you think that following that motivation will provide for you what you need in life. This abstract and, and material thing. And God looks at us and wonders, how is it that 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 lifeless material thing is going to lead you away from me, the creator of you, the one who loves you beyond measure, the one who, who has a plan for your life. And in that moment, hopefully we realize that we are being tempted down a path that leads us away from God. We can start to reflect and think about the ways in which God's revelation, the way in which we see him in our lives is true. We can take on the, the repentant, that is, the, the sorry and, contr and contrite uh, mentality that we find in the book of Isaiah from the king Hezekiah. You see, Hezekiah, I know that's kind of a funny name and, and an ancient and cryptic sounding name, but Hezekiah was one of the kings that heard God's voice and turned back to follow him. He was one of the obedient kings in the time of Isaiah. And he, in the, the chapter 37 of the book of Isaiah, gives this short prayer that acknowledges God for who he is. We're going to let this prayer shape our hearts and minds and how we should turn back to God ourselves. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands, and they have sent their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. 
So I know in those verses there is a confusing name and some narrative things that we need to iron out before we understand the, the root of Hezekiah's prayer. See, Sennacherib was the ruler of Assyria. He was invading Israel. He was going to take over that land. But Hezekiah reached out to the true God, the God who had established the nation of Israel and asked for his mercy. And that's the same tone that our prayers should take when we realize that we've been following an idol in our own lives. See, we like Hezekiah recognize God gives us all things. He created us. He gives our lives purpose. He pours out his spirit on us that we experience his grace. We can follow in Hezekiah's example of acknowledging God for what he does. We can reach out to him asking for his mercy. We can say, Lord, I know that you give me all things. I'm sorry for chasing this one particular idea or going after that one motivation when you are all that I need. We ask God to lead us into a relationship with him that is characterized by by our understanding that everything we have comes from him. That's the motivation. That's the transformation that Isaiah was trying to bring to God's people through his words about their idolatry and chasing after false gods. And that same message applies to you and me. So as you read through Isaiah and you come across those warnings and you come across those, those, uh, those, those sections about what it means to follow false gods, hear the same encouragement to turn back to the true God, the God who has revealed himself to us through Jesus, who gives us his mercy through Christ's death and resurrection, whose forgiveness never runs out, And even though idolatry continues to be a problem for you and me, our relationship with God is not in jeopardy because he has given us his son Jesus to make the connection on our behalf.